0: Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him... We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, as as has already been said, Please, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon us. Lord, just uh, uh, protect us from error. Lord, help me to guard my heart and my tongue this morning. And Lord, just let your word speak. So, Heavenly Father, help us. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not, make us. For Christ's sake and in his name I pray, amen. As we've been looking at at the introduction of of this letter to the Romans, Paul has already introduced himself, he's called himself a bondservant, Uh, we've looked at that in some detail, a a slave of Jesus Christ, we also know that he said he he was separated and called to be an apostle of the gospel of God, and then Paul told us that this gospel was, was planned long ago, that it's about God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, and he talked of, of the, the, the natural man, the lineage of David that was involved here. And the gospel about, mentions the resurrection, about the power of the resurrection, and about how the risen Christ came forth triumphant from the dead and as the reigning Son of God in power. And then Paul brings it back to the gospel that through him, through the Lord, we have received grace and apostleship to call people from all the Gentiles to obedience to the faith. And then he goes on to say that you, among all those called to belong to Jesus Christ, that you are beloved of God, loved by God, and called saints. He he lays it all out, doesn't he, in the in the in the introduction, and really the the whole of Romans is going to keep coming back over and over and over again to these points that the apostle Paul has made in his introduction. And the thing today that that stood out to me that that here in the city of Rome, a perverse city all kinds of things going on there that we know from history, that within this multitude, there's a group of the beloved of God. Now, we don't know how big this group is. And I can only imagine perhaps perhaps it started out as a small group. And, and, and we don't know how this group got started. Uh, you know, it wasn't the Apostle Paul that got it started. There are those who will say, especially... If, the, the Catholics will say, well, Peter got it started because he's the first pope and he's, it's him. But, but most will believe, remember the book of Acts? Remember what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon that place and, and the gospel message spread. Well, guess what? There were some people from Rome there. Did you know that? And perhaps it's these. Perhaps it's these that, that heard from there in the book of Acts the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they went back and, and, and a, a small little remnant got started. And again, we don't know how big it was at this time, but, but here's a group in this perverse, large, massive people that are beloved of God. And Paul is talking to them. Beloved of God. And see, there will be those who will say, now wait a minute, well, God loved all of Rome. God loves everybody. that. Does God does God love everybody? Yes. Yes, He does. Because here, let me ask you this are, are we called to love our neighbor as ourselves? Are we called to love our enemies? Yes, we are. And, and we, we have the example of Jesus Christ. So so yes, we're to love all. And, and, and as much as depends on us, we're to live peaceably with all. Does God love all? Yes. Does God have a particular love for his beloved? Yes. Yes. Yes, he does. And, and as I thought about that, it, you know, the, the, there was a sermon almost a year ago now that we, we went and we talked about this. When we went through uh, uh, Behold Your God, the weight of majesty, week 11 was knowing the God of love. And we talked a lot about the love of God. So let me ask you this. Can we talk about the love of God too much? No. No. So so let's hear the story again. Can we do that? Let, let, let's learn more and more. I pray that we can. That we can learn more and more, especially as a child of God, that we can understand the depths. The depths by which we are loved. Ah, oh, the... Offer grace to trust Him more and to know more of His great love for us. Let's begin in in, uh, 1 John, the fourth chapter, verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment, the ransom, the rescue for our sins. God is love, amen? God is love. And and how was this love of God manifested, made known, made visible toward us? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He came. He came. Uh, uh, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world. Why? So that we might live. So that we might live. God's only Son. Uh, John, 3rd chapter, verses 14 through 16. You know these verses. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, through the years... Uh, whenever we've read and, and talked about, uh, in particular, verses 14, when we combine verse 14 with 15 and 16, you know, I've pointed out that, that the Greek words translated for and so, for God for, for God so loved, for and so, that those two words could rather have been translated for in this way or for in this manner God loved. For in this way, God loved the world. And that phrasing like that, for in this way, points back to something that happened previously. And Jesus told us what it was that happened previously. And what did he mention? He mentioned Moses as he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. We're not going to read all that today, but here's your homework. If you want to reread it, it's in Numbers 21. And just write that down. You can go back and read that. Uh, this is the account of the time that God had sent a curse upon the Israelites because of their, their grumbling and because of their disobedience. What was the curse that He sent upon them? Fiery serpents. And, and they, people were being bit and they were dying. They were perishing. And God provided a cure. God provided a remedy for the curse. Now, what was the cure? Well, God had Moses to fashion a bronze serpent, to put it on a pole and lift it up in the midst of the people, and all who would look upon the bronze serpent would live. Now, the cure was a symbol of the curse. A serpent. So, to be cured, all the people had to do to be saved from God's judgment, God's wrath, God's discipline, however you want to say that, was to look to the provision that he provided upon the pole that had been lifted up, his cure hanging on a pole. Now, I've talked about this many times, but, but do you see it? In the Old Testament, types and shadows of that which is to come the serpent lifted up on the pole was a type or shadow of Christ upon the cross and as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up jesus lifted up on the cross is the cure for the curse of sin upon mankind jesus is the source of rescue from the can i say this from the poison of sin and the wrath of God that abides or remains on all unbelievers. So as the serpent symbolized the curse that was causing the people to perish in the wilderness, so Jesus on the cross became the curse of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read this quite often. For He, for God the Father, made Him, Jesus Christ His Son, who knew no sin to be, what? Sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So what happened on the cross is that God made His Son sin, Jesus, to be sin. wasn't Jesus' sin. He had no sin. Whose sin? What sin? Mine, child of God, your sin, your sin placed upon Him. Our sins imputed to Jesus Christ, placed upon Him. He bore our sins. The one hanging on the cross is made to be sin, into the very thing that is the curse, sin. So Jesus takes upon Himself the very wrath of God that we might receive the cure, that we might go free, that we might have what? Eternal life in in Galatians 3 verses 13 and 14 let's remind ourselves man this is foundational truth isn't it Uh, to to understand the love of God and the depths of God's love verses 13 and 14 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law how how did he do that having become a curse for us on the cross Sin, he bore our sin, he became the curse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for it, for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why? Why would he do that? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And in becoming sin and a curse for us, He took our certain death. He took our certain punishment. He took the wrath of God that was deserved for us. And children of God, what did we get in return? The righteousness of Christ. The Righteousness of Christ. So just as those in the wilderness looked to that bronze serpent and were saved from the curse that was upon them, today all those who will look to Jesus in faith, by grace through faith, are saved from the curse of sin. Can I say it that way? Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look to Him, look to Him and be saved. God loved the world and giving His Son that whoever believes should not perish from the curse but rather may have everlasting life by looking to Jesus. Now, of all of mankind, since, since Adam and Eve, of all of mankind, how many of them are under the curse? All. 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 Do, do we hear this a lot? Yes we do. It's foundational. You can't get away from it. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3:23. All if I can say it this way and talking about serpents all have been bitten by the curse of sin. And it all came because of the first man Adam. That fell. And the curse of sin following all the ancestry of mankind since but Christ came to save. To save. John 3, let's read verse 17 and 18 now. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him, in Christ, is not condemned. But all, oh, but listen, but listen. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So again, I could say this. In this world, there's only two kinds of people. Those who are condemned, those who are not condemned. You can say those who are saved, those who are not saved. Those who believe, those who are unbelievers. There's only two categories of people in this life, on this earth. All have sinned, all under the curse. Wages, the cost of sin is death, is to perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that we might not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Well, who's the world? Well, it seems to me that that the world is everybody. It's all of Fallen humanity. For God so loved all of fallen humanity that he sent his son. Now that's love, isn't it? That he sent his son. All who hate Jesus. All who do not have the spirit of truth abiding in them. And then it is from this mass of fallen humanity that God in his mercy and love saves some. It is within this vast number of perishing people that God loved in a particular love. In this way, God loved the world. Now, the gospel call, because Paul has talked about the call, and perhaps we will talk about that at another time, uh, the gospel call that, that we proclaim, the gospel call goes to all the world, does it not? The gospel call from from preachers, from, from people who are witnessing, the gospel call goes to everyone, to all of fallen mankind, that God loves you in such a way that He has provided a rescue from your certain perishing if you would believe. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John 5, verse 24 Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Then in uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 47 of John, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who believes in me has everlasting life. Is it a wonder that I ask the question almost every Sunday, do you believe? Because without believing, what do we have? We have unbelief and we are perishing. To everyone on the face of the planet, I have no problem in saying that God loves you and has provided a way of rescue for your certain perishing if you would but believe. That's the call. It's not me. I don't know who God's elect is. I don't know who that from the before the beginning of time that God has written in the book of life, I don't know those things. But I know that He has called me to minister the gospel. And so the gospel goes to everyone. To friend, to enemy, to those who would perhaps hate me or spitefully use me or whatever. The gospel calls Goes out. Look to Jesus, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. By grace, through faith, look to Jesus, and you will be saved from the wrath of God that will fall upon all unrighteousness, all sinful and unbelieving mankind. Flee the wrath of God that is certainly coming and even now abides upon all unbelievers. Well, I don't know about that, really. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has what? Everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but what do they have? But the wrath of God abides on him. Now this is not talking future. It's talking right now. Dead men walking without the Spirit of God. The wrath of God upon them. You see, God's Word tells us His wrath will be poured out upon all unbelieving sinners. That's why we preach, flee the wrath of God that is coming. Turn from the wrath that abides with you now. Wrath of God that you're storing up. The, the the apostle Paul will talk about that. Let's let's go to there uh, in Romans two verses five through eleven. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves. The ESV says storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God and. and, and Do we see that? Well, what's an unbeliever doing? They are storing up wrath. Think about that. Storing up wrath that will be made evident, that will be made manifest judgment day. Wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patience continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Storing up wrath. Unbelievers, storing up wrath. And I've got this quote from a writer, and I don't have the name of who this was, and I've read this before, but but listen, but listen. Quote, Many envision God as a benign heavenly grandfather tolerant, easygoing, lenient, permissive, devoid of any real displeasure over sin, who without consideration of His holiness will benignly, gently pass over sin and accept people as they are. We have lost the reality of God's wrath. We have disregarded His hatred for sin. We have forgotten Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This reality is the very thing that makes His love so amazing. Only those who see themselves as sinners in the hands of an angry God can fully appreciate the magnitude and wonder of His love. We must maintain a carefully balanced biblical perspective. God's love cannot be isolated from His wrath and vice versa, nor are His love and wrath in opposition to each other. Both attributes are constant and perfect. Amen? His wrath coexists with His love, therefore the two never contradict. Both God's wrath and His love work to the same ultimate end, His glory. God is glorified in the condemnation of the wicked. He is glorified in every expression of love for all people. And He is glorified in the particular love He manifests in saving His people. Amen? That's that's a good quote. John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news, isn't it? See, that, that's the gospel, believe and receive everlasting life. And you may wonder, well, why would, why would anyone refuse that? Why would anyone not believe? Why? But, 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 but how about this question? Think about it this way. Are you listening? Say amen. Why does anyone believe? There's the question why did any of us believe? Why do any of us believe and receive Christ? Why? And I've I've talked about this before, but when I looked at my old notes and I thought, man, that's so good. Why did any of us believe? Because there's a greater love than the love of John 3.16. There's a greater love than the love of John 3.16. You see, the love of John 3.16 is an amazing gift of Christ to the world so that the free offer to eternal life goes out to everyone. Believe and you will be saved. Believe and your sins will be forgiven. God's wrath will be removed and you will have eternal joy with Him if you believe. But there is another love of God, a particular love of God. This love of God goes beyond the free offer of the gospel and chooses a people for himself, brings them to himself in faith, and makes with them an, a personal everlasting covenant. You, you could call this God's electing love. You, you could call this uh, God's regenerating love. You could call this God's redeeming love. Everlasting covenant. You, you could call this many things that this love of God does more than offer. And I hope we can understand this. You see, God overcomes rebellion. He overcomes resistance. So that these loved ones receive the offer. And again, many people will try to talk to people about that. And what do we hear so often? What do we hear? But, But what about my free will? It's my free will whether or not I'll choose it. It's people's free will whether or not they'll be saved. Just, just let me say this, and I, and I know I've said this probably many times, no one ever gets saved against their will. There, there will be no one in heaven who is there against their will. You know that? Because God makes us willing. See, that that's it. God makes us willing. God overcomes unbelief and creates faith by which we believe. Well, I, I don't. I don't believe God chooses. I don't believe God chooses who will be saved. I don't believe that. He, he doesn't choose anybody. And, and here's where I always go. If you get that, if you get that, here's where I always go. Especially if it's somebody that that goes to church. They they've perhaps they've read the Bible. They know some things. I always go here. Well, how about this? In the Old Testament, did God have a chosen people? They have to answer, yes, don't they? And as soon as you ask this question, you know, they know they're in the crosshairs. They do, because they have to admit, Well, that and maybe they'll go, well, that's Old Testament. <laughs> but what is the Old Testament? It's types and shadows of that which is to come. Of that which is to come. The only response they can say is, Well, well, I I, I don't I don't know. Well, here, we'll, we'll take them and say, Well, let's go look at this love of God that, that that chose Israel. How about Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15? Let's look at it. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Now let me read it in the ESV. Did I put the ESV there? Uh, Maybe I didn't. I'll just read it. If it's not there, I'll, I'll just read it. Behold to the Lord your God, behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Now listen. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. See, it is God who chose. It is God to chose. The point here is that God did not just offer to Israel covenant uh, to be Israel's covenant God. He didn't, he didn't say, well, here I am if you want to choose me. No, he chose them. He chose them. He took them from all the people. He didn't negotiate. He freely and sovereignly and unconditionally chose Israel. Now, was it was it because they were so great? <laughs> Was it because they were so so large and so so big and and so deserving? No. Why did he choose them? Well let's go, Deuteronomy seven, verses six through eight. For you are a holy people set apart. The holy means set apart. So you are a set-apart people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor chose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. Why did He choose them? Verse 8, but because the Lord loves you. Because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out from a mighty, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, Israel did not choose God, he chose them. Why? Because he loved them. Well, why did he love him? Well, that's God's good pleasure, isn't it? It's God's good pleasure. He loved them because he loved them. Why, why do you love me? Why do you love you? We, we can't explain that. Love beyond all comprehending, isn't it? You see, this kind of love in God's raising us from spiritual death and, and causing us to be born again, that particular love. We read from Ephesians 2 last week. I just want to read the first five verses again today. Beginning verse 1, Ephesians 2. And you... He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we, are, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. And as I pointed out last week, but God. But God who is rich in mercy because of his, his what? His great love. His great love with which he loved us. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he have great love for for such sinners? Even when we were dead and trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Great love. Paul says, a great love. Uh, Peter calls it great mercy, abundant mercy in 1 Peter Uh, Just read the third verse, the first chapter, first verse, third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I want us to look at the ESV of that same verse because that has begotten us again. We don't, we don't talk that way today. I, I don't. I'm trying to remember if I've ever used the word begotten unless I was talking about a particular verse. The ESV says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his, and, and here it is great, great mercy. Paul said great love, and here Peter says great mercy. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born again. Oh, how to do that? By by pouring out upon us a particular love. Great mercy, great love. And this love conquers our spiritual deadness. It conquers our unbelief. It gives new life and brings us to faith and unites us to Christ all in one sovereign instant. The God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. (laughs) Child of God, may we understand that it was God's particular love, his electing love, his redeeming love that has made us alive. And that's why we were able to believe. Apart from that, Apart from a touch from the Lord who opens our eyes, and so that's that, that, that's you know we sing the song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You know that, that's a prayer that I pray every every day, Lord. Open people's eyes, that they may see you, that they may know the truth, Lord. Only you can do it. Only you can do it. You know I I I can preach, I can read the Bible, I can I can warn people. God has to open eyes, and it's a miracle. It's a miracle, isn't it? The miracle of salvation. Uh, uh, I've read this quote from Piper before, but again, I think it's pretty good. And Piper <laughs> puts things the way Piper does. Quote, those of you who believe on Christ, God wants you to know yourself loved, not only with the universal love of John 3.16. So there he calls it a universal love but also with his, now listen, but also with his death conquering, hardness removing, rebellious eradicating, sight imparting, faith creating, personal, individual, invincible covenant love of which we are absolutely undeserving. He inspired the gospel of John and I have preached this message so that you would know more fully and experience more deeply how you are loved invincible, never-ending covenant love, end quote. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Death conquering, hardness removing, rebellious eradicating, sight imparting, faith creating, personal, individual, invincible covenant love. (laughs) That's great. That's great. And so this morning, if you're a born-again believer, I want you to know how much you're loved. How do we know how much we're loved? Because apart from that love of God that was poured down in our heart, we would be just like every other unbeliever that's walking around storing up wrath for themselves for the day of judgment. Thank the Lord for his love. I think we're going to end there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just help us that we might know more of your great love lord the, the the call that would go out to everyone repent and be saved believe 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 in christ believe in his his ransom his rescue believe that he died on a cross believe that that power of the resurrection that he w- has risen from the dead believe and you will be saved saved from wrath that you're storing up for yourself. So, Father, I just pray for a miracle of mercy, a miracle of salvation, that someone perhaps who is yet in darkness might receive light. That the that the tomb that they're in would flame with light. The light from you. And Father, for us who 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 have known your particular love, your electing love, your redeeming love. Help us to know all the more of how great a love this is. And help us to know that the only reason any of us loved you is because you first loved us. So Father, as we consider the communion table this day, help us to know and remember the great redeeming love of Calvary, that Christ who went to the cross to give himself so that we might live. So, Father, help us to to all the more to see you and to see your love. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.